I want my restaurants to be about food and wine, but also be about the social experience. Someone once said to me that you do the deal at the rock pool, but you celebrate at the icebergs. For me, a successful restaurant is a restaurant full of conversation and laughter. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many people who contribute to the culinary landscape in small ways, every day, adding colour, depth, nuance and vibrancy. There are others that make a huge mark and create a brand and experience that not only speaks of a city, but waves the Australian flag internationally as an example of what it means to dine at the pointy end down under. Those people that help shape our city's food offering are often those that cannot sit still, that cannot rest and find opportunity to create in every avenue. Morris Tazzini is the owner of Iceberg's Dining Group. Morris, how are you going? Oh, hey, Anthony. How are you, buddy? Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to have you on the show. And I know I only mentioned Iceberg's there and you do so much more than that. And we can, we can get into that. But Iceberg's really does sort of uh, exemplify Sydney dining. And yet uh, you're, you grew up in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, yes, I did grow up in Melbourne. I was born in Melbourne, but um, I was fortunate enough to, um, for my parents um, really struggled with, with assimilation. Um, during the 70s. So I was actually quite fortunate that they decided to relocate to Italy. And um, as a young man, I went back to, or went to live in Italy and, and did most of my primary schools and half of my high school years there. So um, I actually was very fortunate to have lived in, you know, to have been great, to have grown up with, you know, growing up in Italy and um, being part of that culture, you know, the, the, the mid to late 70s, which was a pretty, pretty, pretty radical time in Italy. And, and very influential on my life, you know. How, how different was it to uh, grow up to your period of time in Australia when you were young compared to that? Oh, well, I was quite young when I got there. So I was seven. So, you know, um, I can't really remember prior to that. But, um, you know, that sort of like really shaped my life. And, you know, I think going back to the question that you asked, how different, you know, you know, being in Sydney and coming from Melbourne, I sort of see that I've been sort of a bit everywhere, you know, and I sort of felt that... Um, when I when the when the icebergs was you know was 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 offered to me, I felt a sort of um, a sense of stability and a sense of I finding a place that I really wanted to be at. You know. Well, I want to explore the icebergs' uh, influence that it's had over over decades now. Um, but take us back to the early days when you first sort of realised that perhaps you'd go into hospitality. Those early days. Um, what, where, where, what was the first stepping stone for you into hospitality? Oh, I, I, I lived in Italy, came back to Australia. Um, my sister then went back again after studying arts here and she was in Milan working for some pretty high-profile designers there. I think Miss Sony at the time. And I was quite young. I was about 20, 21. And I went back and I sort of worked for a few bars and some catering companies over there. And... Um, you know, I remember walking into Bar Campari, um, which is on, you know, Piazza del Duomo, and sort of thinking, ah, oh, fuck, you know, this is just incredible. You know, this is reminding me of everything that I loved about Italy. And then when I came back, um, I sort of like was like, right, I'm going to do something, you know, on my own. And, um, you know, prior to that, I'd worked in sort of you know, a number of different bars and sort of cafes and so on. So I'd been sort of waiter and it had always been part of my life. 
but that was probably the, the, the most important moment when I realized that I was going to do something on my own, you know, and I really wanted to come back to Australia after that and do something that I think really represented Italy of the current rather than of the past, you know, something that represented like my generation at the time. Well, tell, tell us about um, what you created uh, in those early days to do that. Well, you know, I was working at my, I've been working, I was fortunate enough that I worked for the Marios for quite some time, you know, in Brunswick Street. That was, you know, at the time, a pretty, a very important cultural, you know, institution in Melbourne, very arty, very jazzy. And, um, you know, it was a, so probably one of the first cafes that really introduced a, a level of service beyond, you know, just casualness and um you know um you know the boys came from fine dining and introduced all the principles of fine dining into a cafe environment you know and um during that time i started looking for sites while i was working for the boys and you know eventually found the site and we opened up um you know we opened up my first gig which was cafe cucina with a, with a chef called maria and um you know that was you know and so sort of never really looked back from then um that was like, you know, it was something that we got involved in. We had no budget. We had no, you know, we had no forecast. We had no business plan, but we just had a very simple idea of wanting to do something that was like, you know, very contemporary Italian. And, you know, and it sort of like just took off, really. Well, uh, tell us a bit about the Cafe Cucina because it, it really did take off. Um, but what was it like running your own business for the first time? Did it change your perceptions of what it means to work in hospitality? Um, you know, it was like Anthony, to be quite honest, it was probably some of the most difficult years of my life, you know, um, but, you know, we'd all, we'd all sort of come from being, you know, working for other people and being sort of punks, you know, hanging out in Melbourne to, um, to, you know, having to get serious and sort of like get involved and run your own business. Um, and it was literally 19 hour days. We had, we had no, we really had no idea what we were doing. You know, in terms of a, in, from a business point of view, and I and I remember I said this in a, in a previous interview that I sort of think that that was our strength that we had no business plan, and I think that that's really important for people going into the industry today that not necessarily everything needs to be on a business plan because that can sometimes shape your creativity and and your passion to do what you're doing. So we just we just got into it, and you know the more the more the more we worked and the more we got into it, and as the years passed. You know, the sort of more we start, we the more with the more we fell in love. You know, the more the more we the more we felt that we with the more professional we became. Put it, let's put it that way. You know, and you know, the cafe itself was probably Cafe Cucina really just opened probably at the right time in the right place. You know, at the right moment in Melbourne, and it just um you know it was just one of those things where all the stars aligned and. It just, you know, it just, it just, um, it just affected a lot of people, you know, and, and and it became one of those, one of those, one of those places that was owned by as much by the customer as it was owned by us, if that makes, you know, if that makes sense. Um, and we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, you know, I, I look back at it now and it's a bit confusing. I sort of feel like there's a bit of, a, you know, there's, I'm, I'm not, I can't even remember exactly what actually happened or actually what went through my mind, you know. It was, you know, it was many years ago. It was 32 years ago, 31 years ago. So, you know, it was quite quite some time ago. And, yeah. Um, you did, you made the decision um, to come to Sydney and you've changed dining and been one of the, the influences of the culinary landscape for Sydney for the last couple of decades. Tell us about that period of time when um, 
the chance to go to Sydney arrived and, and what life was like for you and why you made that call? Oh, well, I was, I was in Melbourne. I was actually started working with Karen Martini and I was very fortunate enough to have worked with Don Levy Fitzpatrick, who's passed away. Um, and I was invited. I went from Cafe Cucina and Don invited me to participate in the George. And the George was, you know, a cultural hub for us because it was the birth of Melbourne punk, you know. So we'd all sort of spent a lot of time there as, as you know, being punks. And, you know, it was this opportunity to redevelop this incredible culture institute in St Kilda. So um, I was very fortunate. I worked with Carrot Martini and a few others and we opened up the Melbourne Wine Room. And, you know, that was incredibly successful. I think that that actually changed pub culture in Australia forever, you know? Um, you know, and Karen was, a, you know, the, you know, Karen for me was just fucking incredible. At that, you know, at that, she's incredible now, but like, you know, at that time, it was really the birth of her career, you know? Um, and so we were doing great things there, but I went through some personal issues, some sort of like family issues. And um, I took a couple of years off um, sort of, you know, resigned and took a couple of years off. And then someone approached me to do Otto um, and I sort of felt that, well, oh, this is a really good opportunity to sort of get out of Melbourne. It was just literally a good opportunity to get out of Melbourne, do something else. You know, I always admired Sydney. I always felt that Sydney had a little bit, some, at, 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 in particular at that time, sort of had something on Melbourne, like it, at, on a, from an international point of view, you know. Um, and I came up and I did Otto. And after two years of running Otto, I was approached to do the icebergs. And... You know, when I saw the icebergs and, you know, I sort of felt, you know, overwhelmed and thought, you know, probably the luckiest working class Italian, you know, in the world to be offered, you know, an, an international site. And it just, you know, it just resonated with me and it sort of made me understand. It gave, I, I knew that the icebergs was, was, was the opportunity for me to express myself internationally, you know. Well, Otto is uh, owned by the Fink Group now, but, you know, you were there at the beginning for the first couple of years. Yeah, two, I think two and a half years I ran that before I moved on to the icebergs. I literally had to sell, the, I had to sell my, my, my stake in, in Otto to be able to fund the icebergs at the time. So, you know, I made that sort of financial choice, you know. Um, what was it like run, um, running Otto in those first couple of years? It really took Sydney by storm. Um, oh, you know, I, I sort of felt that, you know, when I came up and I, and I reviewed this, what was happening in Sydney, I felt that Sydney was well ahead of Melbourne in terms of the top end, you know, at some of the best restaurants in the country. And then it did sort of like the, you know, the bottom end reasonably well. But I felt that that sort of middle market bistro Melbourne sort of, you know, service orientated restaurant wasn't really in play. And I think Otto just fitted that, you know, fitted that gap. And, you know, obviously the position was no, no, it was quite interesting because no Sydney ciders, no Sydney cider restaurant tours really wanted to, to take the space. But I fell in love with it, like, you know, immediately. And I just sort of feel that um, Otto came in and really just dominated that middle market and just, you know, it was very service driven, you know, probably more service driven than food driven. Um, obviously, food was you know plays a major part, and we always you know quality is a given. But um, you know I think that that service, that Melbourne service element, that you sort of European element that I brought from Cafe Cucina, I think is what made Otto you know incredibly successful. And it was just it was out of control, Anthony. To be quite honest, you know, we were doing you know two hundred people at lunch and three hundred people at dinner. You know, and you know, I was running up until then. I was running small gigs that you know we were taking bookings by hand. You know, 
And all of a sudden I had to sort of, you know, reteach myself, you know, how to run a dining room and, you know, introduce electronic bookings and, you know, blah, 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 and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just, it was a big learning curve. But, you know, the most fascinating thing about Otto at the time was, you know, the, the amount of money that was spent out at lunch and dinner, you know. And I was saying this before to someone else that, the, you know, the, the, the corporate card that existed in Sydney at that time did not exist in Melbourne, you know. And it was, it was just, it was just incredible, you know. There was a lot of people spending a lot of money. You, uh, as you mentioned, you sold your share in Otto to uh, take on the Icebergs project. Tell us about um, that period of time and, and what it took to, to build that incredible restaurant. Well, you know, it was a very difficult time. I had to sort of like cash in all my chips, and which I managed to do so. And, you know, we, we eventually opened up the icebergs. You know, I was fortunate enough to meet Carl Pickering at a um, design fair. And I invited him in to design the icebergs with me. And, you know, I suppose the rest is history really, mate, you know. Tell us about your vision in those early days for what you wanted to create with icebergs. Um, I wanted to create something very different to what I'd created before. I suppose part of my brief to Carl is I said to him, I wanted a, I wanted an Australian restaurant, you know, I wanted, I wanted the, you know, the customer, our clients to feel like they were in Australia. I suppose that up until then, most of my gigs had sort of had some type of, you know, European, Italian influence in their design, you know. And this, for this one here, I really, I, I knew that I had to create something that was, you know, iconically Australian and iconically, you know, you knew that you were on Bondi Beach. I didn't want to, I didn't want people to feel that they were like, you know, in Positano, you know, or on the Mediterranean. I wanted people to feel like they were in, they, they were in Australia, and you know, that was, I think that that was that was part of its success, really, you know. Design and aesthetics have been a real feature of everything you've done. And, uh, you, you know, restaurants are not the only sort of field that you um, put your feet in the water for. Uh, can you tell us about sort of uh, the fashion world and, and what role it plays in your life? Um, I suppose I've always been driven by aesthetics. Aesthetics are very important things, in, in, you know, very important in my life. Um, you know, I've got a little bit of, you know, Oh, I, I just say they can really like, they can actually be a bit of a burden at times, you know. Um, everything needs to sort of be perfectly, perfectly placed. Um, I spend my whole days rearranging things all the time just so they're in the right spot, you know. But um, aesthetics have always been very important and I feel that, you know, and I've always been involved in fashion in some way or another through my sister. My, my mother was a very good hairdresser, you know, um, I've always been surrounded. A lot of my clients over the years were people that were involved in fashion or the arts, and it was just something that I've always gravitated towards. Um, I started really getting a little bit serious with it in the Subi days. I I did a couple of collaborations with the boys back then, and then I just sort of like, you know, really took a liking to it, and I was sort of quite good at it. So I just sort of continued, and it's, you know, it's become an important part of my career and my life because it just gives me a completely different outlet, creative outlet. And I suppose that, you know, it really also adds to, um, I always sell that maybe unlike a lot of other people, there's a few people, you know, in, 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 in our industry that probably play the same role. But I always say that I sell a lifestyle rather than just F&B, you know. And um, I think that that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm really good at, you know. 
And, you know, fashion just reinforces the lifestyle that I'm trying to sell, I suppose, you know. What sort of impact has that had on the way that you run uh, your F&B operations, having, um, having those other elements and creativity outlets? Um, well, they just really, really, again, reinforce, you know, what, what I'm about, what my venues are about, you know. My, my venues are, I always find they're about a, a day out or a night out, you know. Um, I always find that they're about, you know, conversation just as much as they're about food and, you know, food and wine and drinks. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, fashion sort of like, you know, being involved in fashion and designing the uniforms for the staff or being involved in music, I think just really reinforces a sense of authenticity, I hope, through my venues, you know. Um, if, you know, yeah, I suppose that's the answer really, you know. You've had, you've had quite a few venues in Sydney, North Bondi, Italian, um, you've also got uh, Chichi Bella now, which is in multiple locations, not just in in Sydney. Um, t- tell us about the last year and a half, because I know that you've had some pretty major restru- uh, re- um, restructures going on. There's been um, you've sold some businesses off, but you've also expanded as well. Yeah, no, the last the last year and a half has probably been the most challenging. You know, like, but I'm not the only one. Like, for probably for all of us, really, and we've all coped in different ways. You know. Um, I suppose that we were, we were quite fortunate when, when COVID kicked in that we were part of a, you know, I formed the coalition group with Jock from Arana and a few other people and sort of we had access to information very quickly, you know. Um, and so I suppose I was very fortunate to be able to put a, a COVID plan in place, you know, which really was all about cash retention. And, um, you know, during that time, you know, I think we all had, you know, Time up our, you know, time up our, time up, time up our hands to really think about what we were going to do in the future. And you know, I sort of just made, you know, I, I, I needed some cash and I had to make some financial decisions as well. And I sort of like during that period, I just sort of decided that I really wanted wanted to have a little bit of independence rather than being involved in just one group. You know, um, I wanted to work with multiple people rather than just with one group. Um, I think I'm really good at that, you know, and I've sort of done that over the last six, seven months. I'm working with different partners in different areas, you know, whether it be, you know, fashion, music, bars or, you know, restaurants. And, you know, I sort of like just realized very quickly that the next two, three years, you know, cash is going to be, you know, cash was going to be very difficult, you know, so... You know, we managed to keep the, like most of the cash is sort of keeping the businesses afloat. And in particular, when you've got something like the icebergs, Anthony, that it's, you know, it's an incredibly expensive operation just to keep afloat, you know, let alone with, you know, the, the catching up from COVID. So I realized that, you know, I was going to be depleted of cash. So I just decided that what I would do is um, go out there and, and, and build assets for myself, you know. And, um, you know, there was, there was, there, there's been two, two schools of thought in the industry and, you know, one of them I didn't agree with. There's a, lot of, you know, there's a lot of colleagues of mine that have sort of gone, you know, had the philosophy, oh, let's just wait until everyone goes broke and then we'll just take over. And I felt that that was a little bit, um, I don't know, I sort of felt that that, that that approach was a little bit unethical, you know. It was a bit like, like being vultures, you know. Um, so I just sort of put myself out there and, you know, there's a lot of developers that were like left hanging, you know, and, um, you know, I, I was one of the few that sort of really put myself out there. And I suppose I was quite fortunate that a lot of people, you know, 
took up took up my offers and I've been, you know, I've been fortunate enough to I think I'm opening up six places over the next year, which is great. Wow. Yeah, you know. So it's sort of been a different journey, a different approach to business, but it's sort of starting to pay off. I think um, we opened up in Parramatta about, what, in December, and that's been incredible. That's been really good. I, I love working out west. I find that really fascinating. Um, it's a big inspiration, in particular, in my fashion, in my fashion life. And we just um, – I was quite fortunate to work with Matt Wiley on Marie, you know, um, which opened up three weeks ago. And the next project is another Chichabella in the city, you know, um, which will be based on more on a wine bar and, you know, classic classic Italian. Um, the Chichabellas are all different, you know, different number of stories and, and concepts, you know, that sort of, you know, it, you know will, will sort of be almost like an Italian cultural journey by the end of it, you know. Well, can, can you tell us a bit about, about that and what you're creating with Chichibella and the different sites? Oh, Chichibella for me, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated. I was always, growing up in Italy, I was always fascinated by how good fast food was, you know, um, and how good, um, you know, you could, you know, you could eat at the local cafe and you're having a panino with prosciutto di parma, you know. And so for me, Chichibella is almost like, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a reflection of, of, of that philosophy. Like, you know, what we're trying to provide with Chichibella is just, you know, everyday good, simple Italian food that, you know, it, people from all walks of life can enjoy, you know. Um, and in that, in that philosophy, I'm trying to, uh, what, I, what, I want, what I'm trying to achieve is I'm trying to achieve a number of different concepts, you know, that will reflect the years that I spent in Italy. So, you know, whether it be like, you know, the Osterias from, you know, the sort of village life that I experienced and to the Trattorias that were like the city life and the next one's going to be based on my time in Venice, which is, you know, the famous buckery of Venice. Um, I think the one after that will be a Salou Maria, which I'm hoping to do with um, Anthony from Victor Churchill. Um, we look, we're looking at doing a bakery, so, you know, Bichichirabella Bakery, so I'm going to collaborate with a number of different people on that. Um, I'm looking at doing an American bar, you know, so that would be based, you know, on the Harry's bars of, again, of Venice. So the, the whole story is going to be like, you know, it, it sort of, again, an Italian cultural journey. And hopefully that all the Chichabellas will tell, by the end of it, will tell a beautiful story, you know. Well, that sounds amazing. You briefly also mentioned Re, a cocktail bar that you've opened recently. Um, can you tell us about that because it's a fascinating project well you know that's really matt wiley's sort of baby you know i played a very for the first time in my career i played a very um background role um i brought matt out matt and i fell in love when he did a pop-up at the icebergs obviously we brought him out and we, we we opened scout up at the dolphin when that was closed down, he did a little bit of work for me on the side and, you know, we, we maintained this incredible relationship and, you know, he, he, he came up with this idea of wanting to create, you know, the world's first, you know, zero waste bar. We're at about, I think we're at about 70, 80% at the moment, you know, and we'll get to 100% over the next couple of years. But um, it was really his, his idea and his baby, right? And my role was really to provide him with the infrastructure to be able to open up the gig, you know? Um, so I provided him with all the back of house, you know, whether it be accountants, you know, lawyers, you know, negotiations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and for me, you know, 
we practice a degree of sustainability at the icebergs and we're always trying to improve on that. So for me, getting involved in re was almost like an educational process as well. So every time I go in there, I learn something new, which I'm hoping to bring in, you know, into my other operations, you know? Um, so it's sort of like, again, a different approach to opening in a business. But, um, you know, basically, you know, at the end of the day, it's a bar, it's a bar foremost. It's, it's really a bar that, that just practices incredible sustainable, you know, has, a, you know, incre- incredible sustainable, you know, theories and, 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 and beliefs, I suppose, you know. Food at your venues is always exceptional, but it's always about atmosphere and experience whenever you step into one of your venues. What do you tell your staff and how do you uh, create the best sort of service for, for diners? Um, I suppose because I've always grown up front of house and been front of house, that's, you know, that's, that's my drive. And I've always liked restaurants where, um, you know, I'm not a big fan. I've never been a big fan of degustations, you know, as an example, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be able to have to pick what you want to pick when you go to a restaurant. Um, I feel that restaurants, I always try to reinforce to myself and to my staff, and to my clients that I feel that restaurants also have an incredible social role, um, not just, you know, a culinary role. And I think, and I'm not saying that all restaurants need to be like that, but I suppose that's what I want my restaurants to be. You know, I want my restaurants to be about food and wine, but also be about the social experience. You know, um, someone once said to me that you do the deal at the rock pool, but you celebrate at the icebergs, you know, and I sort of thought that that was probably one of the best compliments that I'd ever received, you know. So, yeah, so, you know, for me, um, the social experience is very, very important in a restaurant, you know, and we want people to we want people to have conversation. I think that, you know, for me, a successful restaurant is a restaurant full of conversation and laughter, you know. You mentioned um, how the last year and a half has been incredibly challenging and you decided to um, expand and, and, and create new experiences and, and take the challenge head on. What sort of personal impact has it had on you given all the years that you've had in the industry? Well, like, I'm not the only, like, you know, it's very difficult to, t- to talk about because I think there's so many people that have suffered more than me. So I've been very fortunate to be able to, at this stage, at least get through it and, and continue to expand, you know. Um, it's obviously had an amazing, you know, financial taxing on me and, you know, and my businesses, but it's also had, you know, effect on my families and my children, you know, my partners, you know, my parents and so on. So, you know, it's been, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to go to bed at night and not know if you're going to have a job in the morning, you know. So, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have gone through this and, you know, there's a lot of people that have actually experienced it. But, you know, for me, you know, that's the only thing that I know how to do is run restaurants or bars and so on. So really, um, you know, if that was taken away from me, I suppose, at 56 years of age, I'm sort of asked myself, what was I going to do, you know? Given the um, positive uh, approach that you've given in the last year and a half to try and create new experiences, what, what do you think will emerge in the hospitality uh, industry moving forward and the sort of identity in restaurants that we're going to see? I think that, you know, I think that, you know, restaurants will have, definitely have to be, you know, financially more savvy, you know. I think the days of, 
of just bluffing your way through finances. Not that that really exists, but I think that you're going to have to be a lot more savvy. Um, I I, I sometimes feel for smaller operations, you know, and wonder how many smaller restaurants that are so important to, you know, hospitality, you know, are going to open. Um, I see, obviously, as as we've seen a big emergence of, you know, regional restaurants and people want just wanting to get out of town and, and, and live a lifestyle, which is, you know, quite exciting. Um, but I, I, I really feel that, you know, again, maybe the philosophy that I've preached for so many years where, you know, it's not just about the service, the F&B or whatever, but it's about the experience and it's about the social experience because, you know, everyone's realised that, you know, you can like you know even if you don't cook at home, but you've realised you can pretty much order anything these days online. You know, you can get a bottle of Radicon delivered to your doorstep in you know six hours. You know, and you can get you know whatever you know food delivered from Melbourne. You know, put it together yourself. You know, from Attica. You know, so everyone's realised that you can cook well at home. But I think that like you know, you know, we we did a campaign post-COVID that was pretty much it doesn't taste like this, it, was, it, it doesn't taste like this at home. And, you know, I think that for me that statement is so important, you know, and I feel that hopefully, you know, I feel that restaurants of the future will really embrace a lot more of the social experience and I think that people want to go out for a social experience, you know. And I think that that's really important and that's probably going to be a lot, that's going to play a, a major role in the landscape moving forward, I think, you know, those social experiences. It's probably unfair to lay, label you just a restaurateur. You're really an entrepreneur with uh, your fingers in many um, pots. What, what, what can we expect in the in the coming years from you? Um, I, I, someone asked me this the other day, but um, I suppose that I'm sort of, hopefully getting closer and closer. I've always seen restaurants as a means to an end for me, you know. Um, I've enjoyed, I, I suppose what I'm really good at is creating spaces, you know, and I'm very good at employing people that are a lot smarter than me, you know. Um, I quite like that, you know. I think that, um, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate that I've got a reasonably good palate, in particular when it comes to Italian food, and I and I'm very fortunate that I know what I like and what I don't like, you know, and, I, and I'm, and I'm very, very vocal about that. Um, and that's worked very well for me over the years because it seems to be that a lot of other people like what I like, you know, um, but really where am I going and what can be expected? I really, I suppose that really what I've been trying to do all these years is open up a hotel, you know? So, you know, my, 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 my dream is to have a hotel to Zini one day, you know, where I can, you know, introduce all these elements, whether it be a bar, you know, late night bar, whether it be, you know, a sustainable bar, whether it be, you know, a cafe, you know, three hat restaurant, whether it be retail stores, whether it be an art gallery, whether it be like a music studio, you know, and so on. So, you know, I'm trying to get to the point that I, you know, that I, that, that I get to, you know, Hotel Tazzini, which then I hope will become a brand that will be able to expand as well. Wow. That sounds amazing. So, yeah, so that's what I'm trying to get to, Anthony, you know? <laughs> well, you always uh, 
set the um, bar very high, uh, Morris, and it's been absolutely extraordinary to have you on Deep in the Weeds and very much looking forward to seeing Hotel Tazini come to fruition. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for all your support as well. Thank you. Thanks, Morris. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>